Okay, so I'm just gonna like lay my cards out here. One of the first things that I do every week is I try to find the opening illustration that fits with the theme for the day. And so today's theme is about um, someone who finds themselves in a place that they don't belong and what their reaction is and what the people who think they belong's reaction is. So I, I had this theme going in, and again, this is usually one of the first things that I'm able to figure out. Some, some sort of illustration that is gonna really quickly grab people's attention and kind of help you understand where we're going for the day. I had a really hard time figuring it out this week. I have no idea why, but it was like, my brain was completely locked down, could not figure it out. So I usually start with, well, do I have a personal example of, of a time where I have felt this, could not think of something for myself. Uh, do I know someone, is there someone who's really close to me who has this really good, compelling story of, of something like that? Could not think of it. Okay, well then I go to like pop culture. Maybe, maybe there's a movie or a song or, or something like that. And I, again, I could not figure it out. It wasn't until yesterday morning when I finally got it down. And the reason is, I realized, my goodness, this was like a whole subgenre of sports movies from the time when I was growing up. This idea of someone who finds themselves in a place where they don't belong. Can you think of a sports movie from like the late 80s, early 90s that fits with this theme? So like, there's Karate Kid. There's A League of Their Own. There's, there's Rudy. And then there's my favorite. You know what it is? Cool Runnings. <laughs> Any Cool Running? I can hear there's Cool Runnings fans out here. Oh my goodness, I absolutely loved Cool Runnings growing up. If, if, you, do, if you don't know the story of Cool Runnings, so the, the story, or at least as, as the movie tells, the, the real story, in 1988, uh, there was a Jamaican bobsled team, which made no sense. It's Jamaica, right? The, but, but they entered the Calgary Olympics, as, a, as a, a Jamaican bobsled team. So they show up in Canada, and they, like, they understand themselves, like this is not a place where we would typically belong. And as the story goes, everybody else who's there kind of makes it clear to them, oh, you don't belong here either. So for instance, the East German team, who are like the team to beat, they make it really clear that these Jamaicans do not belong. Even some of the Olympic judges make it clear that they don't belong and they try to get them disqualified uh, in, in the process. Well, the further it goes along, actually the Jamaicans, they realize that they don't belong and they try to do some of the things that you would expect from the teams that belong and they don't find success by doing those things. They actually do worse as a result. What they really need to do and where they finally find some level of success and like a, a place where they feel like, all right, they can be themselves in this unfamiliar setting is when they just lean into, we're the weirdos. So we're gonna do our thing, and then if, if we get invited back, if, if we find a place where we belong, great. And as a result, they don't necessarily find success, but they eventually find that they are being true to themselves, and as a result of them being true to themselves, even though it was a place where they don't belong, they're able to then find a place, a, a, a setting where people are then able to come back and say, all right, well, these weirdos actually might belong with us as well, even and especially because 
they are different. So again, this was like a subgenre. It wasn't just this movie. This was a subgenre growing up. We love these movies. I absolutely love these movies. These were the movies that we, we watched all of the time because it's a feel-good type of story, right? These people who, who didn't belong, who suddenly find a place of belonging in, in a setting where they weren't necessarily invited. And yet, as I thought back on it, like, how often are we more like the East Germans or like those Olympic, uh, Olympic referees who are actually in the position of, we're the ones who belong here, and you unexpected folks have no business being here. More often than not, I think we find ourselves in that position than in the position of the Jamaican bobsled team. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we are in the midst of a series that we're calling Crowded Table. And uh, we are looking at uh, what it means for us to be welcoming of all people and what it actually requires for us to make space to welcome people. This is a, a really good analogy. It feels like a good analogy, like preparing a table for people to be able to w be welcomed. And yet in the ancient world, this was like a very literal type of thing. You only had meals you only sat down around a table with people that you were okay with or that you wanted to be aligned with. And so uh, we have, throughout this series, been going back to these stories uh, about the life of Jesus and the, the teachings of Jesus and specifically talking through these stories where he is gathered around a table with people. He is extending his, what was called, table fellowship. Um, and what we find is that Jesus is willing, happy, to extend the table and invite people into uh, meals with him, regardless of who they are or where they're from. And that sounds fantastic. And yet what we have seen time and time again is that there are a lot of people who do not find that fantastic. So two weeks ago, we, uh, we well, each of the last two weeks, we've been talking about the, the Pharisees, this, this group of people who took uh, the, the scriptures very seriously and took the rules, especially around table fellowship, very literally. And we see that again today when Jesus shows up for yet another meal and the people who are um, unexpectedly found around the table, uh, Pharisees aren't so happy about that. So we're going to pick up another, yet another story from the Gospel according to Luke, one of the four biographies about the life of Jesus. Uh, this is in Luke chapter 7. It's going to be up here on the screen behind me. Just a little bit of a heads up. It's a little bit longer, but we have it broken up with, uh, with chunks, so hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Then when a woman of that town, who was a sinner, learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. As she stood, there we go. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfumed oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. A certain creditor had two debtors. He owed him 5,000 silver coins 
and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Thus she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So again, Jesus is at another meal. And he is uh, with another Pharisee. And it is while he is at this meal, and it is while he is with this Pharisee, that the the literal translation kind of goes like this. Lo and behold, a woman shows up. And this woman, lo and behold, is known to be a sinner. Uh, This is one of the rare stories that actually appears in all of the biographies about the life of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And each one is a little bit different because each of them is written by a different person with a different purpose to a a different audience. And yet each and every one talks about this woman being a sinner. Um, Often throughout the years, it it has become implied, assumed, that this woman was a prostitute. Nowhere in this story are we told that this woman is a prostitute. As we've seen over the last several weeks, there's lots of ways, especially in the eyes of the Pharisees who took uh, the scriptures very seriously and the rules very literally, there's lots of different ways that you can get called a sinner. One of them is just by interacting with people who are, are not Jewish. Another is simply by, you know, like Jesus, having a meal with someone who you're not supposed to have a meal with. There are lots of different ways to get labeled a sinner that have nothing to do with being a prostitute. Just because she's a woman and she's labeled a sinner does not mean that she is a prostitute. Uh, The the second thing to know is that the thing that she does when she shows up, so she shows up and her hair is all disheveled and she, uh, she goes and she starts crying and covering Jesus's feet with tears and then anointing them with oil. This is sometimes seen as like an erotic act because, of course, she's a prostitute, so she's doing this erotic act. And yet that is not at all what is happening in this story. In the ancient world, often women were expected to have their hair up. Uh, um, in the ancient world, in the, in the Greek-Roman context, when someone had their hair down, it was often a sign of either grief or gratitude. And so this woman shows up unexpectedly, knowing that she is, by all intents and purposes, by everybody's calculation, she is not supposed to be there. And yet she is welcomed by Jesus. She is not sent away. No wonder she responds the way that she does. 
No wonder her hair is down. She's crying for crying out loud. This is not like an erotic act. This is someone who knows that they are not supposed to be there, who has, uh, has no sense of uh, this is something that she deserves, and yet she's welcomed there anyways. Of course that she responds with not only grief but gratitude for the very fact that she is being allowed to be there. This is like super beautiful thing, right? Uh, the Pharisees disagree. Pharisees disagree quite loudly. Um, and, and they make it clear they're not, she is not supposed to be here. Again, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, took the scriptures very seriously and they took the rules very literally. And she breaks a ton of rules just by showing up. Okay, let's count them. Number one, she's a woman in a place where there's just supposed to be men. Strike one. Uh, she shows up unexpectedly, uninvited. Strike two. Uh, she does so with like all sorts of disheveled, and then she uh, she then breaks this. Uh, this alabaster jar with perfume. Apparently, this was something that was super expensive at the time. So she does this, this thing, which is uh, uncalled for, basically. She's being wasteful. Uh, and then she, uh, she touches the feet, or she's just touching a man who is not her husband. Strike one, two, three, four, five. How many strikes do you get in baseball? Less, less than five, right? less than five, uh, over and over and over again, she's breaking every single one of these rules. She's not supposed to be there. She's proving that she does not belong. And the Pharisees are so upset about this. The, the man who's hosting this, uh, this meal is so upset about this. And what I really want to point out here is what he explicitly says. This is in uh, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Can you hear the disgust in his voice? Can you almost imagine the disgust on his face? Now, I want to note, like, the disgust is, there's two different places where this disgust is being placed. He is placing this disgust, yes, on this woman who has no right to be here. She has broken all the rules at a place where she wasn't supposed to be anyways. How dare she? But what's more than that, he is also directing the disgust at Jesus. If he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. How dare he? Several years ago, I was, um, <laughs> I was listening to a sermon that was given by a pastor who was in the midst of a series about sexuality, and of course, within a series about sexuality in a conservative church, you got to do at least one sermon on homosexuality, and within this, uh, within this discussion of homosexuality, um, this pastor said that the way that you know it is wrong is by your gag reflex. 
Okay? So how you know that something is wrong is that when you see it, you have such disgust that you almost like gag in your mouth. I could not believe that. So for the, for the first thing, like there, there's this idea that uh, this specific person believes in the total depravity of humans, which means that no matter how hard humans work, we can't get it right. So why would we trust our gag reflex? That's number one. But secondly, like, what amount of things over the course of human history and even now can we get away with saying are disgusting? And that becomes our out for, for welcoming anybody who is other than us. Simply because it is different, it becomes seen as disgusting. And yet we do it over and over and over again. It becomes like the filter through which we say whether something is right or wrong. And this is the filter through which uh, these, these Pharisees say that thing is different. That person is different. She is not supposed to be here. She does not belong. That is disgusting. And Jesus is disgusting for even being willing to welcome her. I suppose it doesn't really impact that that pastor at all what does it matter to him because you know he's white straight cisgender christian man who's welcomed basically any setting and it probably doesn't a whole matter a whole lot to a pharisee either who's hosting a dinner he gets to choose who is welcome and who is not welcome right but you know who it really mattered to you know who it meant the world to that woman that woman who had all of these places, all of these ways in, in which she was told and it was reiterated time and time again, she did not belong. She was welcomed in that place. Of course she responded the way that she did. Of course she was crying. Of course she was trying to figure out, uh, she, she was so appreciative just of being able to be there. Of course she responded like she did. And, of course, this Pharisee responded the way that he did as well. Apparently his name is Simon. Of course this host r responded the way that he did. Because he was convinced that he deserved it. She did not. He was okay. She was not. So, of course, he responded with disgust. Of course he responded with, we got to shut this thing down. Close the doors. Get everybody out who does not belong. This is like the history of the church, folks. Uh, for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have, have often done very similar types of things. From the very beginning, even when Jesus was around, many of Jesus' followers were trying to make the table as narrow as possible. It was like Jesus' closest followers were the bouncers to his party. And they were trying to restrict the, the number and the type of people who were allowed to be close to him and yet jesus was there and so jesus was able to push back and say no they are all welcome and they kind of went along with it because are they going to say no to jesus and yet when jesus was gone when he was no longer with them we can see his followers over and over and over again in the years and decades and centuries afterwards continuing to try to limit who is welcome at that table who is expected at that table who's welcome are are women welcome as full full members at this table eh, no 
Children? Absolutely not. People of different cultures and races? People of different sexualities? God, no. People of different cultural or political persuasions? Absolutely not. This is something that time and time and time again, followers of Jesus have tried to get as restrictive as possible. These are the ones who are welcome and are okay to have around our table. And yet, not, not nearly as often, but also on a semi-regular basis, those who are open to hearing something new and doing something different, there have been followers of Jesus who have said, what if rather than following all the, the customs and the rules around who is excluded, how can we ex- instead not only extend our table, but pull up a chair for somebody else as well? Are women welcome? Yeah, why wouldn't they be? Children? Of course they're welcome. People of uh, differing cultures and races? Yeah. People of differing sexualities? Absolutely. People of different cultural and political persuasions? Yeah, it might get a little bit tricky at times, but yeah, they're, they're welcome as well. I don't know about you, but um, I sure want to be in that second camp. I sure want to be the type of person and want to be uh, within a type of church that makes the table not only longer, but starts pulling up chairs as well for all of the unexpected guests. So uh, as we continue this series, as we continue to be this church in this community, a church that exists to grow goodness, may we do just that. May we make space for people, even and especially when they are different from us. May we not just uh, push them to the sides. May we not close the door on them. May we open the door. May we extend the table. May we especially and even bring up a chair beside us so that they can participate fully as people who are not only welcome, but deserve it. May that be so.